We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Keldon Johnson. Bridges on the drive. Gets it up and in for the finish. And the foul of Mikhail Bridges. Turning into the overtime assassin. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm here as always with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Pretty good. We are back over 500 and uh, trending in the right direction in general here in the Western Conferences. Just a couple more weeks before the trade deadline. So things are looking up uh, in general for the Phoenix Suns, and I think we got a lot, of, a lot to talk about. Back over 500 for the Suns, and... Two five hundred for the playbacks, which made me happy. <laughs> the Suns are officially uh, five hundred on our our playback streams that we've done after that almost loss in San Antonio. Uh, since you mentioned it, I don't know if I was planning on talking about this or not, but the Suns are six and four in their last ten games, which is, by the way, the first time in a while that they've had a winning record over the previous ten games, and are still the ninth seed. In the West, they're still struggling to really crack the top eight or even more, uh, even better for the Suns playoff picture, the top six. And part of that is because the Denver Nuggets, the Sacramento Kings, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Minnesota Timberwolves all have a better record over the last 10 games than the Phoenix Suns are at 7-3. The Wolves do? The Wolves, can you believe wow. that? The Wolves are the sixth seed right now, no, twenty-seven re- and twenty-five. Right, it's all bunched that. up and close. You know, the Suns could easily be up to the third seed with a few losses by the Kings and a few wins by the Suns and everyone else in between. But it's it's I just just to say they're playing well, they're doing great, and still the West is tightening up in a way that makes it hard to really jump up in the standings right now, and hard to sort through all the slop as it relates to trade season too, because again, we just have so, uh, so many buyers and not that many sellers out there. Where's OKC right now? I don't have the standings. In 24 and 25. They are, yeah. are they like just out of the play in <laughs> scenario? They're 11th. 
They're um, no, because the Portland Trailblazers dropped below them. I don't know if you realize that they they kind of suck now. No, I didn't realize that either. I I just haven't looked at the standings today because I mean I guess I should just start looking every day because it changes every day. <laughs> um, I look at it every day. Yeah, I, I like the ESPN expanded standings too. You get to see the records against five hundred home away differential streaks last 10 things like that the reason i bring up okc is because i just remember we have four post all-star break games against the yeah. thunder which yeah. i think is so funny like only in the two last, spots behind the suns yeah in the last 25 or 30 games of the season we're gonna have four matchups against the thunder all with devin booker back I, you would think um but yeah hopefully we get some space between us and them by that time it's just funny to think yeah. that like those could be some very consequential late season basketball games yeah. potentially uh, if the thunder the win all right four there. not to say that they will but if the thunder win all four they could effectively knock the suns out of the play-in yeah theoretically <laughs> in the worst case scenario yeah. weird stuff like that could happen but we'll cross mm-hmm. that bridge when we get to it yeah and i think if they continue to because important players are playing well outside of a few we'll talk about bo- both cases in there in this podcast but Certain players continue to play well and Devin Booker comes back. I think you can expect them to do pretty well. I think you're starting to see it click. And a big part of that is what Mikael Bridges has been doing lately. And it's continued. We talked about it over the last, you know, it's been about 10 games. I think that he's really picked it up at this point. And I think we're recording this on Sunday. Last night's game Saturday in San Antonio was such a great example of, I think, both why they might struggle to get him shots and why it's important to get him shots because in the in regulation he had like 12 shots or maybe 13 or something like that and then finished the game basically being the only source of offense in the overtime completely shutting down the San Antonio Spurs and you just see all of that development in sort of one little microcosm in that overtime where he just looks great yeah, he completely took over that overtime. I know people, we did a playback last night, people were aptly comparing it to the Cleveland game from a couple of years ago where he also took over in overtime and the Suns won. The difference there a little bit is that in that Cleveland game, it was kind of a lot of Mikhail Bridges taking over, but in the way that at the time you would expect him to as a role player yeah. where it was kind of defense to offense, a lot of transition, maybe corner threes. Blocks um, and steals. This was different. This was the Suns were looking for Mikhail Bridges to score in the mid-range in a way that they trust him, uh, as they should. Um, but as, you know, just using him in a role that they've never used him before. And, yeah, at this point, if you look at the last 10 games, the Suns have a plus 500 record, as you mentioned. Mikhail is averaging 21, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. He's got good efficiency uh, from all spots on the floor, uh, essentially. And with the exception of one game where this was a while ago now, it was against Denver in a blowout loss where he scored seven points. Yeah. Every other game in the past 10, he's at least, at the very least, he's matched his season average of 16. And very often he's getting more than that. He's getting, you know, over 20. Um, yeah, that's but how you just, get up to over 21 points in that time. Just to consistently match. I mean, he's, he's, only really, he's really only had one dud in that time. And otherwise, yeah. he has shown up every night during one of the most critical stretches of the season when obviously Devin Booker was out, Chris Paul being out for more than half of those games, uh, and he's just been there. DeAndre in out for multiple games too. That's true. Yep. He's and just yeah. he's shown up. 21-5-4 over those last 10 games. If you also factor in 1.7 steals, 
that's it's 10 games i'll say that right away but that's essentially jimmy butler he's been basically jimmy butler <laughs> over the last 10 games with a better on the suns better shot better shot better yeah, mid-range but better three you know, less free throw attempts that's true <laughs> jimmy butler gets his his uh buckets a little differently he gets to the line a lot but you know i just looked at those numbers and i typed those in just to see like what kind of player that would be were he to average that over the course of a season which he won't but it's just interesting to think about because if he can continue to do it in future seasons, it's important to look at those kinds of things. And like players that you would expect came up, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, the wing players that play also play defense, two-way players. And I like to look at that kind of thing because I think it's important to really try to illustrate how much of a two-way impact that he's having because it's not necessarily just that he has picked up his offense as of late which he obviously has 21, five and four, 47, 39, 87 splits in that range as well. So basically pretty, pretty great shooting in that stretch, but also he's picked up his defense as well. He's playing much, much better defense than he was previous when, you know, when we all sort of talked about how he looked injured and now he looks healthy and, and he's doing it on both ends of the floor. And last night in overtime, I think really, Ending the game with a block on a Sohan step back three was just such an exclamation point. Sohan who on was the kind of game he was playing. Terrific, by the way. He we rocks. Should, we yeah. should give some credit. Um, him and Keldon Johnson were absolutely carrying the Spurs offense. But yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And and just the way McHale has responded to criticism this year, ultimately, right? Because I think more than in any other season we've seen him criticized this year for why i mean you know you you saw threads of it in previous seasons uh elements of frustration directed from like certain fans or, or whatever yeah, I, I think it was rare, rarely in the media i mean yeah I, even even from us to an extent i yeah, would say wanting them to shoot more at the very least but this season earlier i mean yeah it was the first time that really you could feel the frustration from a lot of people reach more of a boiling point and the fact that i i don't think if michael is smart i don't think He's actually going on his Twitter account because he does have a Twitter. I don't think he's reading what any of these people with 74 followers actually have to say. I think you would be <laughs> insane if you're a professional yeah. athlete to to essentially willingly take that abuse, right? Um, but I think, you know, a general acknowledgement of he probably sensed that there was a different energy uh, than in previous seasons. And, and he whatever criticism has been lobbed his way, he's responded fantastic i will say my my understanding of people who are close to athletes is that they actually do look at everything and they are well, kind it, of crazy <laughs> it really depends man i mean we know for yeah. a fact we know for a fact it's, there's no question about it i mean look at kevin durant he's the greatest yeah. all-time case of it steph like, curry oh, checks tweet tweets during halftime of games to motivate eddie, him in the second half eddie johnson after every game he's a former player i know but <laughs> yeah. like, let's make the name Suns searches comparison. eddie yeah. johnson searches his name on twitter he just yeah. does <laughs> um so you know there's nothing necessarily wrong with that i suppose but but other guys i i do think there are some of these guys who try to play it off really cool and act like oh we don't pay attention to to any of the noise they pay attention to the noise a little bit i it's, think it's hard to completely shut that part of your brain off you know what i mean yeah absolutely i i it's i struggle even just as someone who hosts a podcast sometimes but uh for Mikael Bridges, I think if you're someone who has a life and was like, I'm not going to watch a Saturday night game where the Suns play the Spurs 
First of all, that's commendable. Congratulations. That's probably the right choice in most cases. In this case, just go back and watch the overtime. I really highly recommend this because the way that Mikael Bridges took over is not necessarily someone who was catching the ball and attacking a closeout and getting to the rim or shooting a wide open catch and shoot three at the right time. The The way it worked, and Chris Paul said it after the game, Mikael Bridges went to Chris Paul before overtime and said, give me the ball and let me work. And Chris Paul said, say less. Um, gave him the ball and Mikael <laughs> Bridges was just calling for a screen at the top of the key and getting to the rim with the ball in his hands I'm over sorry. and over and over again. I'm sorry. Are those the words that Chris used? That yeah, Mikhail said, is, yeah. give me the ball and let me work? Yeah, or That's something like, like that. some urban legend stuff. I believe that <laughs> Mikhail was like, all right, you know, C- CP, I'm ready or whatever. Give me like, the ball, you know, yeah. I-, I believe it to an extent, but like, give me the ball and I- let me work. Let's see I don't if I know. can find the exact phrase. I don't know. It's I'm not sure that's 100% The believable. thing about what was important in this game as far as watching him score is he was calling up. He, yeah, he said, Kale came to me and said, see, give me the ball. This is what uh, Chris Paul said. And Chris Paul said, say less. And then Chris Paul said, make or miss. I don't think it's about us having confidence. I think it's about him having confidence in himself, specifically as it relates to Mikael Bridges. Yeah, that's some top-level propaganda, but I'll, <laughs> I'm with it. <laughs> I'll embrace well, it. I know, think, Chris, here's the reason former, I think it's former true. Former president of the Players Union, you know, he's always been good at that. Here's the reason I think it's true. The ball was not starting in Mikael Bridges' hands until overtime. It was just starting in Chris Paul's hands when Chris Paul was on the floor. Mikael Bridges was cutting around the elbow screen or 45 cuts or, you know, Iverson-type plays and catching the ball and then working from there. It rarely started with the ball in Mikael Bridges' hands, except in overtime when it did five, six possessions in a row. And in those plays, it was empty corner pick and rolls with Mikael Bridges and DeAndre in over and over and over again. And Mikael Bridges was basically looking at the screen and analyzing which way to go on the screen. Sometimes he would reject the screen and go right or go left. And he would either sometimes hesitate mid-range and then dive to the rim. He got fouled by doing a classic rip KD-style, James Harden-style rip-through with his insanely long arms that he could probably get free throws on quite a bit if he's willing to do that sort of Euro-step rip-through. Or just getting to the rim on an and one, sneaking at baseline just with a hesitation. All of those things were entirely essentially created by him in the screen. And he did it over and over and over again to end the game. So if you didn't watch it, I recommend watching it because it's worth seeing how it happened, not just the stats of what happened. All right, let's talk about Chris Paul, who also has been playing well. Four games so far for Chris Paul since he's been back. And I would say that he looks like Chris Paul again. What do you think? It took us a surprising amount of time. Not that we buried the lead or anything. I understand Mikhail won the game. Yeah. But Chris Paul, the game that he had last night. Yeah. He's back. He's back. 31 yeah. points, 7 rebounds, 11 assists, 1 turnover, 12 for 20 uh, on field goals. Also played 39 minutes in this game. I guess that makes sense with the overtime. But... um. Yeah, the, the workload that Chris Paul has carried, and a plus 14, by the way. Don't want to neglect that. In an overtime close win, he was also plus 14. Um, the workload that Chris Paul has had in the last four games, he has looked phenomenal. Generally speaking, I posted a tweet earlier today about his mid-range shooting percentage is back. 
He's shooting 60% on mid-range shots on not a small sample size, by the way, in the month of January. That's after he shot 39% in the months of October and November combined. That increased to 45% in December, a little bit better, solid, even 45%. That's Mm -hmm. actually, it's close to what Booker is at, but it's not Chris Paul level. Chris Paul level in the mid-range is this sphere that exists like only a few players exist in this sphere (laughs) only a few players in the nba are worthy of being here it's it's chris paul it's kevin durant yep maybe sometimes like demar Derozan gets close but for the most part i think it's really just these two guys like none of them are chris paul's height that's for sure (laughs) these are the two guys chris paul and kevin durant are the two guys who for years in the mid-range are always at above 50 percent, and it's ridiculous that they do it Up until this point, Chris Paul has not sustained that level. In January, he has more than sustained that level, 60% in the mid-range. Of course, we know he's having a fantastic shooting season from deep, over 40%. His best season, I think, shooting the three ball on the Suns, best season in a while, but best season for sure on the Suns. If you look at the season stats, we're basically at the point now where it, it took us a while to get here, right? But you can say, Chris Paul, his numbers, they're basically all what they were last year. His two-point percentage is still down. His field goal percentage is still down. But if this mid-range stuff sticks, if this is who he is now, if he stays healthy now for the next, and I know that's the question, but yeah, the next two course. or three months, yeah. uh, that stuff will continue to climb. His three-point percentage is substantially better than it was last year. And his points, rebounds, assists, like 14, 5, and 9, that's what he did last year as well. This is mm-hmm. who he was. It, it's starting finally to get to a point where it looks like there hasn't actually been a drop-off in Chris Paul's numbers from age 36 to 37 or or 35 to 36. I forget which one it is. Um, Like he's erased the evidence of that, which is remarkable. The question is going forward, just how does that affect our expectations of him? And uh, yeah, I mean, does it change anything about really this team's playoff chances and, and what we should expect out of him going forward? Yes, it definitely. I needed to see it. I'll say that. Like, I, I, I feel like he's sort of pulling me off of the brink in some ways because as much as I appreciate Mikael Bridges and his development, the lack of Devin Booker so far this season and the way Chris Paul had played to start the season when he looked out of shape uh, was concerning, to say the least, and factor in DeAndre in and I think the huge disappointment that he's been so far this season, which we'll talk about next, I sort of needed to see Chris Paul play well to have any faith that this team could, and I'll say it as flatly as possible, win a single playoff series. You you kind of need Chris Paul to be back. And, and to see him play, I think, as well as he has. And also credit, I think, to, I don't know if it's the training staff or some level of extra carefulness with the Suns post-Christmas Day game for Devin Booker with the guys coming back from injury because Cameron Johnson comes back a longer time than we anticipated him being out and looks fantastic. Chris Paul comes back. We had no idea what his injury was, but it felt like a long time for something that we didn't get any real update on. And then he comes back looking fantastic. 23-10-5 since he came back. It's four games, but still 23-10-5 in those four games is a pretty amazing stretch, even if it's just four games for Chris Paul at his age. And he looks great. Right now, we're still wondering when Devin Booker is going to be back. He is not going to be back in the first game of this week. They it's already been, did say that. It's been rumored, however, by sources such as Gambo, if you want to put your 
faith into into Gambo's word yeah. that maybe later this week. Yeah, Atlanta. I think yeah. they play after Toronto. And yes, yeah, so I think I have a little bit extra faith in the amount of time they're giving Devin Booker to come back that he's going to come back looking relatively well considering the track record that they have of these last two guys and the amount of time they took off. Being extra careful with Booker, it's been over four weeks, right? That evaluation time period was about a week ago and uh, he's still not back. So I think we can feel okay about that at this point rather than worrying about it just from what we've seen. And one thing I'll say about Chris Paul too is that he's shooting in these four games. 15.8 field goal attempts per game. And you see him taking a few shots in the first quarter now, right? He's actually making an effort to find that space a little bit earlier in games. And I don't know if that's something that's going to continue when the team is fully healthy again. And I don't even necessarily think it should or it shouldn't. But I do think it should right now with no Devin Booker. Like, I think it's important for him to shoot if he feels okay. And I think he is. So it's nice to see, I think, the combination of him looking right, him looking healthy, and the shots dropping at a rate that they really haven't dropped on the Suns in a while. And I think you can see how much it impacts how good the Suns can be, how what their ceiling is, at the very least, in this regular season when he actually plays well. For sure. I mean, to go back to what you were saying about this, the Suns needed him to reach that old Chris Paul level if they just wanted to win one playoff series because that's exactly what it took last year. Chris yeah. Paul had to reach that level in order I mean, to... he had to reach a level he never reached before. <laughs> just to win one playoff series. So, yeah, yeah it makes sense that, that you need him to get back to that point, and it's certainly encouraging that he's taking these shots in, in the first quarter again. Um, now, does he need to be number two on the team, though? Well, I think that's an interesting conversation. That's, of and course, fact, the next question. Like, it's good that he's back... For yeah. me, if I can like take my first stab at that question and then I'll toss it to you, I love to see Chris Paul play like this, obviously. I love the fact that they took their time with him and as was the case with Cam Johnson, he hit the ground running as soon as he came back. Now, I don't expect 20 and 10 from Chris Paul the rest of the season. I don't mm-hmm. expect him mm-hmm. to sustain this level necessarily. He's about to turn. I did just check. Let me double check again. He is 37. He's about to turn 38 by the mm-hmm. playoffs, possibly. Yeah. He'll be around 38 years old. Uh, I don't think it's reasonable to expect that level from Chris Paul uh, to to want him to be the number two on the team. So Mikhail kind of needs to continue to be that guy for me. And then if Chris Paul can give you one of these 20 and 10 performances every third or every fourth game and the rest of the time he's just solid, that's enough for me. To be honest, yeah, but yeah, but I, you know, I'm just trying to reframe my expectations of what he needs to be. I don't want us to fool ourselves into being like, okay, he's back. Uh, it's 2020 again, and like we're about to play the Bucks, and this is Devin Booker and, and Chris Paul's kind of joint team, and they're one A and one B. That's not what mm-hmm. this is for me at all. Devin Booker is is like by a huge stretch the number one superstar on this team, and then there's a <laughs> bunch of guys who are kind of competing for can they be like, yeah, you know somewhere in the sphere between the second and and third best player in a championship team. It's really what it is. And yeah, I think it's a good question. And I also think it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate getting Mikel Bridges some shots in the Dallas game that had, I think for a first time in a while, Chris Paul, Mikel Bridges and Deandre in 
Mikael Bridges had two shots in the first half of that game and ended that game five for 12 with only 12 field goal attempts in a, in a period in the last 10 games where he's averaging over 16. And in this last game, he ended with 18 shots, but it was it was pretty low into the last few minutes of the game, followed by overtime where he took, I believe it was three for three, but had the ball for multiple possessions, including a possession where he was fouled. Uh, so overall, more shooting possessions than previously. And it's a balance that they're going to have to figure out because it's a combination of Chris Paul shooting more, which is, I think, as we've realized, is good for the Sun so far. And DeAndre Ayton, who I talked about it online yesterday and, and during the playback, where they force the ball to DeAndre Ayton early in the game to make sure he's engaged for the rest of the game, which I just don't like. I just don't really enjoy seeing that happen Do because I don't think it's worth the effort. Shall, is that our segue? Should yeah, we, talk? we can talk about Ayton. I mean, I just think we, we should, right? Like, I think. Yeah. So, I... Remember what I said 10 minutes ago about Mikhail Bridges has responded really well to criticism yeah. this year? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's the other guy who's been <laughs> criticized on this roster, Mike? Yeah. And uh, and I think you see a difference in the response. And it's it's been a tough week for Aiton. I'll, I'll say, first of all, it's been a tough week for Aiton in some ways that definitely aren't his fault. For instance, the yeah. fact that he goes out with a sickness. Apparently it was mm-hmm. his, his kid who got him sick. Uh, wasn't the flu, wasn't COVID, just just sick. Um, and, but like, so Bismack Biombo starts in his place for three games. The Suns win three games at a stretch in time where they absolutely needed wins. Like our morale was mm-hmm. low. We were afraid that the season was slipping away. They win three in a row with Biombo. They went four in a row overall because Aiton was actually available for that first game. It was the Nets game where he actually yeah, had a good game. The Ishbia game. Ishbia yeah. sat courtside, yeah. But then he comes out. The Suns continue to win. They win the next three games. And then Aiton comes back, and that first game back is that Dallas game. And it's a tough loss. And it's a tough loss where he specifically has one of the most frustrating offensive performances of his career, honestly, in the sense that he shot six for 20. And there were just pivotal moments late in the game where it was on him to put away plays, to finish plays, and he couldn't do it. Yeah. I don't think all of that is his fault. I think part of that is, you know, Biz had a good week and Aiton had a shitty night missing hook shots to an extent that he normally makes, that I'm normally uh, have a certain level of confidence in him and in his ability to make that shot. Some yeah. of those shots just weren't falling in that game. But from the outside, when people see that you have a 6-for-20 game and a tough loss like that after you've been on a win streak when you're, when you're not even playing, uh, they, the criticism begins to amplify. And now, like this is where we should get into it. There are very, very, very legitimate reasons to criticize Aiton's performance over the past two games, but I think a lot of it relates to the defense. A lot of it relates to the effort. And I'm more interested in talking about those aspects of his game. And I guess yeah. a little less interested in talking about, look, he shot six for 20. I don't think that's going to happen to him very often. It's, you know, the Suns are, I talked about it, six and four in their last 10 games. In the last 10 games, DeAndre Ayton played, they're two and eight. You know, a lot of those wins, at least four of those wins in the last 10 came without DeAndre Ayton on the floor, two of them 
came with him on the floor. One game I think he played particularly well in the Brooklyn game. In the San Antonio game, he was bad, I think. And, and you know, box score-wise, you might look at it and say, no, no it looks like he was pretty good. And uh, I, I disagree. I think he was bad. I think there was a pretty embarrassing moment at the end where he airballed a layup that could have essentially won the game before overtime. Yeah. Uh, a short little hook shot, which was particularly bad. I don't think it was an um, air ball. I think it was just a, the ugliest brick you've ever seen. Yeah. It missed the rim. It hit the backboard. <laughs> yeah, it hit the it backboard, missed the but missed the rim. Yeah. Shattered yeah. the backboard. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was real bad. And look, I think you're right. I think you're right to, to mention at the very least in the last two games where in both games he shot 20 shots, but only made 17 of those 40. Uh, that's a pretty bad stretch uh, for him, even if you look at the overall box score stats and he ends up with a lot of points and a lot of rebounds in one game. Um, And, you know, that's why I think it's actually more important to talk about him on the aggregate, like the entire season at this point. And it's just been, I think, particularly disappointing throughout I honestly think I think the forcing the ball to him in the post stands out in particular after you've seen a few games with Bismack Biombo in where the ball's just zipping around the floor and there's players moving and nobody shoots unless they're wide open right there's no forcing it to anybody they to shoot a contested shot early they sometimes force the ball to biz in the post and the they definitely do I think they do try do I just always I bring it up because I think it's interesting that you know, if defenses are going to switch everything, they think that right. that's a mismatch for Biz. And I don't know if it is because I actually, I should look up Biz's hook shot percentage this year or whatever. <laughs> I have a feeling it's not very good. Not but great. it's, not it's great. interesting to me that from Monty's perspective, they still think that that's a mismatch worth exploiting as if he were, as if he, as if it were DeAndre Ayton on the floor. They're just, it's their and, game. But yeah. th- I think that's a point of, they do just want to run their offense no matter what personnel is on the floor to an extent. They're yeah. not going to change up the way they play too much. And they still win. philosophy. Right? What are they, 9-1 and one or 8-1 and one or something? Yeah. With Biombo with, starting so far? With Biombo starting this year? Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. And they still win that way. And I just think it's interesting to even talk about that just because but, the offense, I think, to start games frustrates me. But I think the offense is not the problem yeah. so far. Thank even you. the last thank two you, games... You where he's 17 of 40 in the last two games. You know, some of those shots were dumb. And I think some of those shots that, that were misses were due to a lack of focus as well. They're shots that he normally makes. And it's and maybe it's just because he still doesn't feel right from being sick. It could entirely be that. So I don't want to harp on that. Defensively, on the other hand, it's just been... I think the extent to which we are able to identify how bad it's been we we have not successfully done that yet maybe it's on us right as a podcast but as a as a fan base as people who analyze the suns i think it it has been awful and for two reasons i'll say this because it's a touchy subject if we can just say why people haven't properly identified it it's a touchy subject you pay max money and you're getting i mean you have the stats so i'll let you read out the stats (laughs) well i want to say two things first though well one thing in particular they don't switch with deandre in anymore they have simplified, I think, the defense. And this happened about, I would say, about halfway through last season. They have simplified the defensive game plan to an extent with DeAndre and that he is just in a drop almost all the time, just constantly in a drop. And when you're in a drop, the important thing is protecting the rim. It's stopping people either from taking shots close to the rim or from making shots close to the rim. 
And if you're not switching, I think there's also an impact on rebounds, right? It means that if you're in a drop, you're usually close to the rim, meaning you have a better opportunity to score on rebounds than if you were switching out to the perimeter, or, or I should say just to get rebounds rather than switching off to the perimeter. And I think it's important to put that context in perspective here because he's in a drop, meaning he has the... It's important for him to be protecting the rim. So I've been looking at stats all day, trying to identify the best way to talk about this. And there are a bunch of stats and I can cover a bunch of them. But one in particular stood out to me. I looked at the NBA's website. This is per NBA.com. This is defense within six feet of the rim. I looked at all starting centers who have started this season. And Aiton has the worst defensive field goal percentage in the league of every single starting center so far this season. Even centers who've started a single game at 65.2% within six feet of the rim. Is Meaning if a, if a player shoots a shot <laughs> with DeAndre and as the primary defender, they have a higher likelihood of making that shot than if any other starting center in the NBA was guarding him. The worst. Yeah, what's league average for that stat? They may not say it there, but if I remember correctly, like it's around maybe 60, 62%, something like that. So 65 is really bad. It's just really bad. It's literally the worst. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't get worse. There's not a single player who has started this season with a worst average. And, you know, just for comparison's sake, Biombo's at 46.2%. Well, he's elite. I mean, he is just yeah. 46 is, is go classically I don't it's know better where, than gobert i don't know so where, far this season i don't know where gobert is this season it's like 52 percent like, gobert's about 52 percent that's where prime gobert was is 46 that's how insane that is for busy and but that's just why i wanted to be like yeah so like we're winning games with biombo in the lineup it's not because uh, maybe there's a small portion of it which is the offense looks freer in the way that they run their offense but 95 percent of that is biz is erasing shots at the rim constantly and Aiton just isn't he's not putting up resistance yeah and I think it's a combination of there even when DeAndre Aiton's been at his best which I think was the last two seasons defensively for him he doesn't really block shots now he blocks more shots than he has been this season but he doesn't really he's not a shot blocker like Biombo, for example or Jaron Jackson Jr. who was as you can imagine Sam there's no surprise to you here regardless of the conversation on Jaron Jackson Jr. he's towards the top of that list that I was talking about. And uh, yes, he so he doesn't block shots. That means that what he's doing is either, one, deterring them from shooting at the rim, which we can talk about that stat in a second as well, or two, when they shoot, he's making it as difficult as possible for them to shoot while not fouling, which is an important thing for him to do and something he's been pretty good at in his career. That requires two things. Being willing to take contact at the rim one, which I think he has been less willing to do so far this season than probably since his rookie year, and two, being in the right place. And I think this is the hardest thing to identify with DeAndre. He's often just standing in the wrong place defensively, either too deep under the rim or too far away from the players who can take either short floaters or short mid-range shots and then doing a fake contest because it's too far away from them to actually contest. And those two things, with that being out of position or on not a willingness to actually jump up and take the hit in the chest, which I understand hurts, but it's what he's paid big bucks to do. Those two things, I think, combined have made the Suns just have some of the worst defense in the league while he's on the floor so far this season. And this is a combination of every game played this season. It's mm -hmm. not a recent stretch. 
It happened even when the starters were healthy. For the first eight games of the season, he had a bad uh, defensive rating. When The Suns had a bad defensive rating when he was on the floor, which is a better way to put it. And I just don't know. I expected at some point this would start getting better, and maybe it will. You know, maybe it will. Other players are starting to play better as the season progresses. But the fact that it's not just bad, but basically the worst, I think surprised me when I looked up this stat. Yeah, I I mean, it's just the frustrating thing is we know it's not an ability thing. It's just an effort thing because he's literally done it before. Not that he's been biz level defender before, but in this stat in particular, rim protection, I mean, I think he's been down around 55%. In Which the is past good, really good. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. That's already starting from a point of really good, and to regress this far, this fast, just says that he doesn't care the way he used to. I'm not sure that there's another explanation for it, unless you really think his conditioning is just completely in the gutter as a result of injuries and sickness and all that other stuff. Um, Which but it I don't doesn't th- seem like it is. Right? It just doesn't seem like that explains yeah. the full picture to me. I think the most likely explanation is. He doesn't exactly want to be here anymore, and he's you know he's given 60-70% effort a lot of nights. Not every night, but a lot of nights because of it. Yeah, I don't want to try to... I mean, that's a good guess. I'll give you that. I don't want to try to even predict that. All I know is that it's going badly right now. And I think there probably are some people thinking, well, what about the perimeter defense? What about the perimeter defense? Those stats are really good for both Jock Landale and Bismack Biombo, And believe it or not, they're even better than DeAndre and for Dario Saric. You know, all three of those guys have a better rim protection stat than DeAndre and so far this season. He, they're playing with the same players that DeAndre Ayton is, the same perimeter defenders that DeAndre Ayton is. And all three of them have better rim protection stats. You know, I don't think it's anything other than he's playing badly defensively. How many blocks? You, not that, you know, I know this isn't what you're talking about. How many blocks does Dario have this season? This is a funny <laughs> mental image now. Let me try and look that up because that's a good question. Do you have a guess before I look that up? Oh, God. Uh, how many games has he played, first of all? He has Can played 32 games. He's started 11, which is a surprising number there. I'm going to guess 10. <laughs> he has four. Four. <laughs> yeah. In in 441 <laughs> minutes played, Yeah. Uh, he has four. <laughs> So yeah, I mean that's I guess that's not another way to prove that you don't necessarily need pull down a lot of rebounds blocks. last night though. Credit to him. Yeah, real yeah. hoopers do that. Blocks per thirty six minutes, I think, is what we'll look at real quick for Dario Saric, and we'll just compare that to DeAndre and just for comparison sake. Zero point three to zero point eight is the difference in yeah. blocks per thirty six minutes. There, he does his best, Dario. He's yeah, can't I expect mean, yeah. too much. Dario He's, has what? Dario has like a six ten wingspan. Aiton has a seven five, seven six. Yeah, you know, and you know, uh, th- less than a third of the salary, <laughs> and like expectations as as well attached to that because that's what comes with salary. Expectations come with it, and you know, I talked about just quickly, just mentioned something called rim deterrence. The rim deterrence is a stat that measures how likely players are to shoot at the rim while you're on the court. So oftentimes there are stats that say. You know, when Gobert is on the floor, players shoot, as I mentioned, 52% or whatever it is at the rim when he's on the floor. But they also take eight less shots at the rim per game. And that's a valuable stat. And I made up those numbers for the record. I just just throwing out what it could mean in a hypothetical scenario. And uh, needless to say, players are not afraid of shooting at the rim with DeAndre in this year. It's a combination of an inability to affect shots at the rim 
and players, the, basically the scouting reports out. Drive on DeAndre Ayton. Try and shoot at the rim on DeAndre Ayton. That's what teams are doing this season to an extent that they were not doing in the previous two seasons. So I don't think it's a secret anymore within NBA teams that this is a good strategy to try to beat the Suns. And I think we saw that in a particular run of the San Antonio Spurs yesterday in the game where they were, as I described them online, the worst team in the NBA, finding a way to get to the rim and continually score with DeAndre Ayton as a primary rim protector. And you know, a lot of the Suns defense is meant to funnel everything inside to him. And if that backline's not there when you're funneling things into him, it's not going to go well. And I think we're seeing that so far. Just don't really know how much analysis there is on this other than we know he's capable of it. Yeah. And he's not doing it. I think that says it all, honestly. And we'll see what ends up uh, what ends up happening. Now I mentioned the expectation for the Suns to win a singular playoff series, a singular playoff series. And that includes the idea that Chris Paul has to be somewhat of himself in order for that to happen. And I do believe that. But at this point, we are also, I think we have set the expectations on DeAndre and to play like he did in previous playoffs. But what he did in previous playoffs was raise his play from the regular season, which was already good. And at this point, if we were to anticipate DeAndre in playing great defense in the playoffs, we're essentially asking him to do something that he has yet to do this season, which is a concern. I think it's different than expecting him to play better than he was when he was already good. You know, now we're expecting him to be good when he's been bad. And I think those expectations, they're not calibrated properly compared to what they were in previous seasons. And to, to say the least, it's, it's concerning for me. And I guess we don't have to talk more about it. But I just wanted to mention that because I think a lot of people are like, well, I'll play fine in the playoffs. And maybe you're right. You know, maybe he starts playing better towards the end of the season. Or, but I, I think it's been it's been particularly terrible in a way that is hard to really put into words. Or, I'm going to do your work for you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an external solution. Yeah, maybe they trade him. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they even trade him. Maybe there's an external solution without trading him. I don't know. Who <laughs> am I to say? Let's, uh, let's debate you, it. They're going to bench him? <laughs> a certain player in uh, who was in trade rumors this week. And uh, okay, now it's your turn. Introduce. Uh, <laughs> it's it, You know what we need? We need a drop. We need uh, uh-huh. a sound effect for slop season. For slop I, season? I don't know what it says other than it says slop season. And we need. We like got a, one more week of this, I guess. I know. I mean, we have some Patreon podcasts, but one more regular episode before the trade deadline next year i think we should i think people should remind us to make a there's going to be a lot season. of slop in the off season yeah. lots of slop in the off season what's so. the sloppiest sound effect that you could think of what's <laughs> the, think what's we, the what's the sloppiest thing i think we got to get a, i think you should, should leave sound effect on that one yeah um, because he talks about slop yeah for sure uh, more sloppy slop steaks please. more yeah. slop slop me up <laughs> uh, all right someone remind us this time like january 7th 2024 and we'll get right on that like <laughs> or, four or five or, weeks before or the deadline. like or like june 1st or, or so june we could 1st. do it in the off season as well um we are right now nine days until a press conference has been called to announce matt ishbia as the new owner of the phoenix suns which by the way is the day before the trade deadline which I think was very purposeful by Matt Ishbia. We're, we're going to have, the Suns are going to have a brand new owner that takes over the team 
with, I think, expectations to have some control over what happens in the trade deadline talks, which in some ways probably means that if you're expecting a trade for the Suns, don't expect it until February 9th or at the very least the afternoon of February 8th. I don't know. Wouldn't it be interesting if Matt Ishbia was like, I have a press conference, like he signs the paperwork on February 7th and then the Suns make a trade that night and then he goes into the press conference being able to talk about the trade that he's made. <laughs> Already as an owner of the Suns, I could see something. It's it like reminds when, uh, me of <laughs> Ryan McDonough. I'm yes. guessing you're going to say this. Go yeah. ahead. Bringing Tyson Chandler into the meeting with <laughs> Lamarcus Aldridge when the Suns met with Lamarcus Aldridge <laughs> as a free agent. It's going to be Mateen Cleaves, though, <laughs> <laughs> who's a former teammate of Matt Ishbia's that works with him in his wholesale mortgage company and supposedly is rumored to join the Suns after Matt Ishbia <laughs> takes over. Uh, but I think all of this is to say that we're coming up on it. Something is going to happen at some point soon. And the rumors are really going crazy. And I think the most recent and, I don't know, interesting, I don't know how to put this, rumor that we've heard. Interesting is, is from, subjective. <laughs> yeah. At the very least, it's not surprising. It's from Zach Lowe who said to keep an eye on the Suns when it comes to a John Collins trade. And I want to contextualize how he said it. Because he didn't say to trade Aiton, right? He didn't say to trade Cam Johnson or Mikael Bridges. He said to trade essentially salary with Jay Crowder along with a single pick, maybe two, to get John Collins, meaning adding John Collins to the Suns' core without getting rid of any of the major players for the Suns. And I think this has sparked some interesting debate on who John Collins is as a player along with if he's better than anyone on the Suns that currently gets high minutes yeah and i'm interested to hear your take on this here on the podcast okay well let, let's start here we've had this discussion before <laughs> can yeah. we start there can we admit we've yeah. definitely we've talked about john collins before on the pod mm-hmm. i think people who know who he is uh yeah. we're talking about a great pick and roll finisher just a finisher in general uh, who has defensive questions, of course, but who doesn't on the Suns right now? We just spent 15 minutes talking about how DeAndre Ayton has defensive questions. And so, uh, yeah, I think what's interesting about this, who would you really said it all. Who would he play ahead of? Because right now, John Collins is having the worst season of his career where, you know, just in terms of per game numbers, right, where he's averaging 13.5 points, 7.7 rebounds in 31 minutes per game. Uh, likely wants a more involved role somewhere, I would think, where he can be more featured, not less. Can Phoenix offer him that opportunity? Or are they no. going to start Cam Johnson <laughs> at power forward and DeAndre Ayton at center? Uh, that seems more likely, certainly, than, than the... Pro- so I think if you're talking about bringing John Collins in here, first of all, starting from where Zach Lowe was, I like the fact that this is not... Uh, we're not talking about giving up a Cam Johnson or Mikhail Bridges or any of that. If it's just salary and a first-round pick, I could be sold on this idea, no doubt. I just question if John Collins wants to come here to play 20 to 24 minutes per game off the bench as a hybrid 4-5. He could be a great sixth man here. He could be a great bench pick-and-roll partner uh, for campaign or whoever the backup point guard ends up being for the Suns and for Chris Paul to an extent as well. Uh, but on the other hand, that's a lot of money to pay a guy playing the sixth or seventh man role. You know, John Collins, he's signed for three more seasons. He's yeah. going to be making like 
$26 million by the end of this contract. So it's a big commitment to a guy mm-hmm. like that. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of questions. I will start my thoughts on this by saying I would not start John Collins over Cameron Johnson. Neither would he's I. Just, he's just not a good fit. And if that means that you don't make the trade, I think I could probably just end it right there. You know, if he's unwilling to come off the bench, if he's willing to come off the bench, it becomes kind of interesting. You play him at forward at times, you play him at center at times as well. And then he becomes kind of an interesting piece for the Suns. Outside of that, because he's not necessarily even capable of taking the starting role, I'm not sure how big of a difference maker he is. Now, having said that, I think that a top six, top seven of the Suns, if you include John Collins in it, is impressive. That's just a lot of good players that you can put on the court in a playoff series. You know, finding ways to integrate somebody like John Collins is probably not as easy as you would think, being that a lot of the places where he gets buckets are where our centers get buckets. We don't have a stretch five to actually create that space for him. And he's shooting like 26% from three this season. In fairness to him, He's a career 36% three-point shooter who who like is used to shooting three or four threes yeah. per game for the past several yeah. seasons. So this year, that percentage is, it, it seems a little bit off to me. Like he's definitely, yeah. he might have regressed. I don't know why he would have regressed. He's not 26% level bad. I just don't think that's true. If you trade for John Collins and you get away with trading for John Collins for salary and a single pick this year, and you're going into the offseason with players under contract that are Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, DeAndre, and John Collins, and Cameron Johnson's restricted free agency, along with every pick outside of this upcoming draft, I think you have an interesting situation. Now, I will say, if John Collins could have been traded for any good players at any point of the last few years, he would have. <laughs> He has been on the trade block this entire time. I yeah. think we can be pretty we can be pretty clear on what his trade value is, and it's not good, right? It's salary and one pick. That's what we're talking about. So I think a combination of you would be doing it for this year, and you'd be putting yourself in, in an interesting position over the summer where you essentially have to make a decision on I would say three players John Collins, Cameron Johnson, and DeAndre and Keeping all three of those players is incredibly unlikely if you end up trading for John Collins. And like I said, we know what the trade value is. I think at this point we could say the person with the best trade value of those three players is Cameron Johnson. And that's not great because I'm not 100% sure that that's true. I mean, you can have the thoughts that DeAndre can play better and I think that's a fair thought because he played better the last two seasons. So it's possible that value stays high. Yeah. I'm just I'm just not sure about that either, just based on the conversations I've had with people who cover other teams right now. <laughs> yeah, but have you talked to those people about how they feel about Cam Johnson? Because I don't think they're super high on yeah, Cam Yeah, no, jo- that's a good point. Not to that's the extent that Suns fans are. Every um, team needs a Cam Johnson, though. Yeah. Not every team it, needs a DeAndre Ayton. Every team needs a Cam Johnson, but every team also feels like they can get a Cam Johnson for mid-level money. That might not well, be true. They're they might, wrong. <laughs> they might be wrong. They might be he wrong. might make $25 million a That's year. That's fine. The they played. might be wrong, and he might make $25 million a year. But I'm just saying, at $25 million a year, what's Cam Johnson's trade value? Eh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. That's true. That's uh, true. But to turn the conversation back towards John Collins, it's 
it's interesting because like in theory this idea that you can take him and reform his trade value as if kind of like we were doing the whole julius randall thing yeah right like ha- had we traded for julius randall at the start of the season and then voila or like boyan yeah. right <laughs> or, or boyan or, or any number of other guys it's yeah. just hard to do that i understand the logic it's really hard to do that when especially you're on a great team on yeah. a great team and when you're playing a guy 22 minutes per game which is what he's going to be getting uh if he comes to the suns and you start the other two players it's there's no like no matter how well i mean who is he at that point he's essentially montrez harrell you know like from when montrez harrell won his six man of the year awards averaging like 16 and 10 off the bench but did anyone think that was worth 25 million dollars no not necessarily and it's just hard <laughs> it's hard to that that's for sure it's hard to feature john collins in your offense to the extent where you're actually reforming or reviving his trade value uh, on the basis of him being a bench player. Now, the concept of him as a small ball five, yeah, the concept of him even potentially as a starting five is kind of interesting yeah. to me. If you uh, Chris could, Paul, John Collins pick and roll sounds pretty cool. Well, Not I mean, imagine <laughs> imagine if you could swing salary and a first round pick for John Collins, and at the same time you somehow convince Toronto to do an Aiton Fran and Obi swap. And like, then you're cooking with something. I think. Like, <laughs> do you have do yeah. you have defensive issues if you start John Collins at, at the five? at the rim? Yeah, sure. Uh, on the perimeter, you're pretty good. But also, he's blocking twice as many shots as Aiton this year. And we were just talking <laughs> about how Aiton was giving you you know issues. And and on the perimeter, you would not have defensive issues because you'd have Mikael yeah. Bridges, OG Ananobi, and uh, and Cam Johnson. Uh, that's like just one of you know a hundred million potential ideas out there. But uh, yeah, it's. If you bring the guy in, though, I think at the end of the day, we're in agreement. It's tough to feature him and Aiton together, and that's you ultimately can't. what's probably killing this this deal. Yeah, I'm just, I'll ask people who probably are thinking, well, why wouldn't you just start John Collins? He's an all-star or whatever. I don't even know if he's been an all-star. I don't think he has been. Uh, he has not I been. I mean, he's a dunk champion. <laughs> he's a, he's a 2018 he all-rookie. Let me see if he was first team or second team. Yeah. He's a 2018 all-rookie second team selectionee. Uh, put some respect on his name. What makes the Suns so dangerous in their current form is how it all fits. You know, it's the fact that Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre, and when he's playing at his best, just fit like a glove. You put John Collins in that mix instead of Cameron Johnson, now you're bringing Cameron Johnson and limiting his minutes by 10 more minutes a game. I just don't know how you're going to design an offense that is playoff-worthy when your two players at the at the front court positions here need the same space to score. You know, one of them has to be a good high volume three point shooter and both of them are bad at that. <laughs> and so you just can't really do it. I just don't understand what you could do in that case. Now, if he's willing to come off the bench once again, I'll say that it makes it interesting. If he, if the Suns end up trading for him, maybe they can find a way to make it work that we're unaware of. I just have my doubts. And if it ends up happening, I will continue to have those doubts uh, with the Suns. I do think that there seems to be something there, but I also think that the Suns at this point have appeared to have uh, spoken with every single team in the NBA to ask about most of the players in the NBA because they have a lot of assets that they're willing to trade at this point. We know Jay Crowder. We know Landry Shamit. We know Dario Saric. We know at least one first-round pick. We could potentially say DeAndre, and I don't know that that's even true, but I have a feeling the fact that they tried to trade him for Kevin Durant, the fact that they tried to trade him for Demonis Sabonis, I have a feeling they might be willing to trade him again. 
So they have a lot of assets out there. I think they're talking to a lot of teams just to see what is even out there so they have the clearest picture before they end up making a move. I don't think, and I'll say it again this week and I'll say it again next week, I don't think a star is going to be moved at the deadline. If it is and it's not the Suns though, I'm going to be a little disappointed. (laughs) I'm going to be a little disappointed. Depends who they go to, right? Yeah. It depends who they are. If it's, it's Siakam and he goes for like, you know, two first round picks and one player with potential, that's going to piss me off. <laughs> that's not that's not happening. Don't worry. Yeah. Put okay. your mind at I don't ease think so either. Because, because there are many teams that can offer many more picks than that for Siakam and yeah. Toronto knows that this is not is not the time for that. Any other thoughts on Collins? No, like like I said, man, we've said it we've said it before on John Collins. This next uh, one's going to piss me off even more. Mr. Uh, Mr. Hewlett Packard Basketball said that Kobe White, the 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 Suns have spoken to the Chicago Bulls about a Jay Crowder Kobe White swap. That was another rumor that's out there right now. What do you think about that? First of all, what did you call HP Basketball? <laughs> <laughs> Hewlett Packard Basketball. Is that is that the thing? Is that it's something that I've seen on our Discord? I think. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I like it. That you slipped that one by me. I was like, wait, what did he say? <laughs> uh, Matt Moore reports that um, Kobe White. Uh, look. Yeah. What am I supposed to say? We've we've done this before. Can, yeah. We've done this before. could have drafted him. How many conversations didn't. have we had about Kobe White on this podcast? Yeah, but what if... What if How, answer the question. Uh, at least like six or seven. I'm That's sure. entirely too many conversations. Pre- That's include- six or seven too many conversations <laughs> about Kobe White on this Phoenix Suns podcast. If you Suns include podcast. pre-draft... People ask us about him all the time. This is something I mentioned to you. People ask. Uh, I think it's because the Suns had the opportunity to draft him, so people got attached to him pre-draft. And, uh, yeah. I mean, what if campaign is not going to be okay? Then that's that's fine. Then, yeah, you get a guy like Kobe White, and he's exactly the same as campaign, which is fine. No, he's a worse defender, I think. It's it's just it's just fine. It just it blows the notion that campaign with his foot injury that we haven't heard any details about. Like if that's still in a boot currently, he's still in the boot. If he has to miss the rest of the season, I know absolutely nothing, but like just we're speculating and they have to pivot and use the Jay Crowder asset just to get a campaign replacement. It just takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. Like Kobe white is fine. He's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm supposed to be excited about this. You know, (laughs) I wanted to use Jay Crowder for like, Stuff that could propel the team forward, either in the form of let's get a young asset, let's do a little bit of a youth revolution, or yeah. let's upgrade a position somewhere. And Kobe White, he's just he's fine. He's not an upgrade. Kobe White and is losing minutes, losing minutes on a bad Bulls team. And it's just tough. I think if the Suns are speaking to the Bulls, they should be asking about Caruso. I know they probably don't want to get rid of Caruso, but that's the guy. I think if you have a guard position that you can upgrade, you should probably find a way to upgrade defensively for those rare playoff matchups where you kind of need to sub Chris Paul out because he's being attacked. Uh, and, you know, somebody like Kobe White, not going to be right. If you guys remember, the first game of the season was against the Dallas Mavericks. The Suns closed with Cameron Payne on the floor because Chris Paul couldn't guard. Kobe White can't either. They need an option, if they can, that can guard. And right now, I, I just, Kobe White is, I, I, I think if you're somebody who says, okay, cool, Kobe White instead of Cameron Payne, and you find a way to get excited about that, 
I understand it. I understand the idea of getting excited about that. But if you just judge it from the perspective of you just traded Jay Crowder for Kobe White, that's an L. <laughs> that's a loss for the I guess, Suns. In you know, my some opinion. people are probably saying because I said the thing about youth and prospects and whatever. Like Kobe White is twenty-two years old. Yeah, he's twenty-two. He's friends with Cam Johnson. He's friends with Cam Johnson. Do we think he's the point guard of the future? <laughs> I certainly no. don't. Like, I don't he's know really not. what he's the not. long-term investment there turns into, but we could do it. 25.8 minutes his rookie year. 31.2 minutes his sophomore year. 27 minutes last year. 21 minutes per game this year. Dude's losing minutes. It's just tough to be and confident like, in that. Their guard rotation isn't even that good. No. Their other bench guard is Goran Dragic, who's Hey, eight. if it's Ayo, if, if you can find a way to get Ayo. Ayo starts. I mean, yeah. I like Ayo. can't, yeah. But Ayo's maybe the worst starting point guard in the, in the NBA. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, so he can't beat out Ayo in the rotation. And Goran Dragic is 74 million years old. <laughs> and he plays almost as much time as Kobe White does. Maybe he's more of a shooting guard at this point, you could say. I don't know. But it's, yeah. He should just, he should be doing more. Without a doubt, there's going to be more rumors related to the Suns, just based on what I've heard as far as them talking to everyone. So without a doubt, we're going to hear more rumors over the next week. We got a Patreon podcast coming midweek this week. Then we have next week's podcast, which will be the final regular feed podcast before the trade deadline, where I think we'll probably just have to round up every rumor that we've heard so far and talk about those rumors and see what we're looking at leading into the trade and hopefully Devin Booker uh, being back, but leading into the trade deadline at that point. And then we'll see what ends up happening. We're going to have to cover the trade deadline as it comes. I'm excited. I'm, you know, I'm, I have my expectations sort of moderately high. I'm trying not to set them too high. How are you feeling, Sam? Where are your expectations level right now? My expectations, I mean, I just want it to be over, man. I, like, we're talking about the same players. And I will I will say to the people out there who are listening, I don't know if we're, what format we're going to do it in next week, if it's going to be like a normal episode, or I don't think it'll be a mailbag exactly. But if you see a specific rumor, or if you just have like an idea that you need to get off your chest and like want us to talk about this player, that player, who you've seen uh, on the trade block, uh, feel free to send us any of that stuff and we yeah, can just we, idea. we can try and round them all up and talk about as many as possible but a lot of these guys we are talking about for the third or fourth or fifth time and i just need some closure i, I really do well we'll do it again in the off season i'm sure <laughs> yeah that's true kobe white future starting point guard <laughs> uh summer 2023 but thanks everyone uh for joining us for this episode like i said patreon podcast midweek you can sign up for our pa- patreon uh, at patreon.com slash the timeline extra episodes for six dollars a month every week you can also join our discord for as low as three dollars a month but thank you everyone and we will be back very soon The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.